Stevens, joining me as always, Dollar Bill Dave, woo woo, and Timmy C. Who? So what's great is last week I wasn't on the show because I was at work on on the afternoons, and I was a dope and didn't tell them until the day of. <laughs> Correct on the afternoons, and um, this week Dave's on vacation to the surprise of no one. No, not at all. Um, and I'm taking the month of September off. So the whole, the whole thing. What? I can't do that because we have a huge announcement. What? What is this? What? What What? did I say? What? So we have been talking for weeks and months and feels like years at this point. It does. FFP has found a home. Beginning in August, we will be coming to you live and in living color on video and audio. Mm. Although I don't know how it's going to be colored audio, but we'll see. Uh, On the Premier Streaming Network. What? I didn't tell you. I thought I told you. That's hot. What, your fart? Did you hear it? I heard it. So, we will be joining shows like RVD show, The Million Dollar Man, The Game Event with Efren. One of a kind. I literally, everyone, everyone I literally has a had, I asked extra, I, we're paying extra to be labeled above Efren on, on the, we did. the page. Yes. We're, we're above the marquee, above Efren. Mm-hmm. It's true. I paid I paid three dollars extra for that. Yep. So look for that coming on the Premier Streaming Network in the month of August. And you may be asking yourself, I know I would be. I wonder what they're gonna cover for their debut episode on the Premier Streaming Network. Well, we're actually we're gonna cover superstars from August of 1992. And I have to tell you, we picked a doozy because that show is loaded. We like to come in with a bang. You know you know how much we like sports. And we had to leave the, off the album by Huey Lewis? Yes. I love it. Yep. And we had to leave off Dennis Eckersley off that show. And you know how much we love the Eck. Uh, we and had to leave him hair, off. His flowing black locks of hair. Mustache. Sidearm. Still one of the weirdest pitching motions I've ever seen. No wonder he struck out so many people. Absolutely. Can't see where the ball is. But uh it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I cannot wait. And yeah, yeah. Um, 
can't wait. I it's there's so many good shows on there. We just mentioned a handful. Sambu Speaks is on there. Uh, Chernoff, I believe, has like two episodes or two. None shows of them are as good as us, but that's rude. We're, we're well, we, we raised the tide for all boats. Okay. Yeah, sure. I'm sure Ted DiBiase is like, <laughs> oh, I can't wait for these clowns to come join us so it can help me oh, out. Hold on. I just got a text from Ted DiBiase. So happy you're coming on to bring eyes to my show. That's also, awesome. have you seen Virgil? <laughs> I have. He was at Olive Garden. <laughs> oh, still good for him. So, yeah, there's that. Um, you know what else you should do is you should follow this show on Twitter at FF Podcast, on Instagram at Filter Free Podcast. I guess now that we're going to be on a network, I should actually start doing stuff with that. And follow the network on Twitter at Filter Free Net, which, by the way, now that we mentioned that, the Patreon will be staying. Correct. That is not going anywhere. We got Patron still. And what is on that Patreon, Timmy? Well, you will get our specials like Legends Let's Rethink This coming in the fall, and it's getting close. I'm excited. Football Mm, is getting paid with Tim, and if Dave ever decides to show up, he'll be on it too. You will get Evolution of Evil, Mm. which is back on the horse. We are back. Wrestling with commercials, which we premiered on our main feed last week to um, Psychic Network. Go go check that out, please. Mm. Might have a spinoff up the first episode. That never happens. And apparently wrestling has decided to come to the Midwest. Mm. Um, the entire fall, winter. So... Look for something coming along with that. We've uh, we we have a gigantic list of events we've been invited to. We've got feelers out for. We'll be solidifying that, and you'll be hearing that in the co- upcoming weeks. I mean, they're coming to Indianapolis, Chicago, like seven times. Yeah, they're trying to be busy. We got invited to New Jersey. We did today, so keep your ears open. We'll find something. May have some free tickets coming out too. Oh. Uh, the fun part was everyone's like, listen to these guys talking at their ass. No, all of those things happened. Correct. We got invited to New Jersey. That's legit. And there's going to be free tickets coming eventually. So keep your, e- keep, keep your ears peer- peeled. I can't speak. I don't think you should peel your ears at all. This means Unless open. it's corn. Corn. Corn, corn boy. Are we... Um, any other big announcements? Or are we ready to get started here? No, I think we're I think we're through this. We can. Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and start the show. This week we're going back to July fifteenth, nineteen ninety six. We watched a WCW Monday Nitro. But first, let's run through some events. Filter free up for stories that missed the cut. July first, Ask Gene becomes a this. I remember Ask Jeeves. I can't believe that that was the most popular. I mean, it was, there was Yahoo back sure. then. <laughs> was there? Yahoo existed. All right. July 1st, the Winnipeg Jets of the NHL pack up and move to Arizona and become the Phoenix Coyotes. Did they leave Benny in Winnipeg? Yes, and Winnipeg does not have an H for the record. Uh, uh, Winnie. Winnipeg. Winnie Cooper. Winnipeg. June 4th, the email service Hotmail begins. Yep. I still have. I know a lot of people who had Hotmail. I did. Do you remember your first Hotmail uh, address? I didn't have. I 
I still have my original email. It's Yahoo. You have to do that again. You said June 4th. I don't have to do it again. It's, just, it's July 4th. They know what I mean. It's the same thing. Huh? Um, the 4th of July fireworks. And I even wrote I even wrote June 4th because I'm a dope. Leave all of that in. But my first uh, Hotmail address was tboski40 at hotmail.com. Tboski. <laughs> I was in like, how old was this? What did I say? This was 96? So I was 11. Actually, Val Venus wasn't even a thing yet. July 5th. The California Angels start off a game against the A's, scoring three runs in the top of the first. But the A's answer with 13 in the bottom half, making this the highest scoring first inning in Major League history. The A's would go on to win 16 to 8. Now they're terrible. Yeah, yeah, not great. No. They're moving to Vegas. Eh, Maybe. I think it's official. Oh. Wow. I'm impressed. July 5th, Dolly the Sheep, the first mammal to be cloned from DNA, is born in Scotland. I remember this. Big titties? The sheep? Well, I feel like anyone named Dolly should have big titties. Jolly Parton. Dolly Parton, hello Dolly, Dolly the Sheep. I mean, she might have. I didn't didn't look at her udders. July 8th. The Spice Girls released their album, their debut album, Wannabe. It's pretty good. I liked it. Yeah. Tell me well, what you want, what you really, really want. No, I'm aware who they are. The next day, not to be outdone, Leanne Rimes releases her debut album, Blue. This would win blue, uh, almost a blue board. Billboard Album of the Year in 1997. She was 13. Crushing it. Yeah. July 9th, the U.S. Senate raises the minimum wage to four twenty-five an hour. That's what I made when I started my first job. I made five fifteen, I think. Because that was minimum wage next. Yes. And then it went to seven twenty-five, and has steadily been there. July twelfth, former show topic Kirby Puckett is forced to retire from baseball due to vision loss in one eye after being hit in the face by a pitch from Dennis Martinez. Fat ass, old one eye. You gotta give him two nicknames, really. That's a lot. July 12th, Michael Jordan signs a one-year, $30 million contract with the Chicago Bulls. That was a lot back then. Yes, it was. That was like half their money. July 12th, the X-Files actress Jillian Anderson, a.k.a. Agent Scully, was named FHM's sexiest woman. She's a ginger. I got a thing for gingers. Don't care. Not her. July 12th, Jonathan Melvoin, keyboardist for Prince and the Smashing Pumpkins, dies of a heroin overdose at the age of 34. It's an odd combination. I agree. July 14th, New York Yankees closer John Wetland closes a then-record 24th straight save. This save also ensured the Yankees swept the Orioles in Baltimore for the first time in Yankees history. Pretty sure that the Reds' closer this year went 23 straight, so... Okay. He's still one behind Wetland. Hmm. Still so pretty not, good, though. Not really sure why you brought that up. Like the song says, so close, but so far away. Thank you. July 15th, Prince Charles and Princess Diana signed their divorce papers. Then he married that basset hound, Camilla. <laughs> huh, what, what is it? You got to, 
Got a bee in your bonnet there today. Have you seen her? No. Terrible. I don't care. July 15th, after 2,216 straight games at shortstop, Cal Ripken Jr. moves to third base. And Kevin Costner must have been at shortstop. No, he was probably at Ripken's house. Or backstop. Banging his wife. He was the backstop. No, his wife was the backstop. She got all the balls. <laughs> I set him up. You knock him down. July 16th. John Pinozo, drummer from Styx, dies from cirrhosis of the liver at age 47. By the way, excellent drummer. Yes. Super good drummer. Absolutely. July 19th, the Summer Olympics open up in Atlanta. Unfortunately, we have much more on this coming up here in the show. July 28th, the ancient remains of a man simply known as Kennewick Man is found near Kennewick, Washington. Well, it would make sense if you found him there. That would be his name. Very clever, those people in Washington. What did you name him? Alabama Man. What? <laughs> Florida Man. <laughs> July 18th, or July 28th, rather, numbers. Daryl Strawberry of the New York Yankees hits his 300th career home run. Mm-hmm. Haven't I done that almost, in a while. I can almost smell it. And that has been Stories That Missed the Cut. Stories in the Wheelhouse, July 9th. It's time to grab an ice-cold beer. And a hot dog and head to the ballpark. As, uh, the ballpark? What is the ballpark? I'm halfway through this one and open another one just for the sound effect. And head to the ballpark as the stars gather for the 67th edition of the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. The game emanated from Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in front of 62,670 fans in attendance. The game was broadcast on NBC with Bob Costas, Joe Morgan, and Bob Euchre on the call. How's that for an announced team? On TV with John Rooney and Jim Hunter calling it on the radio for Radio CBS. Catfish Hunter. Catfish Hunter. The national anthem was sung by Kelsey Grammer. That's odd. And I looked that up. Yes, it's that one. And the Canadian national anthem was sung by Sarah McLaughlin, who then rescued a puppy. In the arms of the angels. Did you actually know that is the Canadian national anthem? Is that song? They changed it. Really? No, I I like it. it. (laughs) Sure. I I want everyone to cry all the time. When Toronto Blue Jays outfielder Joe Carter was introduced to the fans, he was booed. Although Philly fans should be booing Mitch Williams because I'm certain I could have hit that pitch out. This was the final All-Star game ever played on artificial turf and the second newest stadium that has since been closed down and demolished by an only Yankee stadium after it closed in 2008. Did you know they found out that apparently AstroTurf from that era was causing like cancer and stuff? I did not know that. Yeah, not good. I know it was taking people's knees out left left and right. I, but I bet Vince Coleman has cancer right now because he slid on it so many times. Or all the firecrackers he breathed in from throwing them at people. <laughs> or the cocaine. Or the cocaine. Several factors. This marked the 15th and final All-Star Game appearance of Ozzie Smith, who retired after the 1996 season. Smith entered the game in the top of the sixth inning because he couldn't start. His first at-bat was greeted by chants of Ozzie, Ozzie from the Philadelphia crowd. They don't realize he plays in St. Louis, apparently. The reason he didn't enter into the six was because he was a scrub and nowhere near as important as the winning effort of Cincinnati Reds legend Barry Larkin, who started the game. 
You know, I was getting ready to ask you, I wonder who the shorting, starting shortstop was, and I didn't, and now I know why. Because in 1996, Larkin hit a career-high 33 home runs, stole 36 bases, becoming the first shortstop in Major League history to join the 30-30 club. In his entire career, Ozzie Smith did not join the 30-30 club. He hit 20 home run, 28 home runs for his entire career. Not a 30-30 career. No, not a 30 career. He arguably had a better season in 1996 than he had in his MVP year of 95. That would be Barry Larkin, not Ozzie Smith. As his on-base percentage and slugging percentage were both improved. Love it. Barry Larkin killed the All-Star game. Love it. Well, um, this is going to be interesting because this week you're a one-man show. I, I'm I'm going to murder it. And let's see how I'm sure you will. As we, do, I need to have that talk with you again for we had from Alabama. So let's see how you're going to do solo this week on Box Score Trivia. Oh, you you don't trust anyone or they can misconstrue, misconstrue your work. Just so I won't get fined, boss. But today, I'm the greatest of all time. You like that? You like that? Alright, this week we're doing the 1996 Major League Baseball season. We're going to start like we always do, top 10 batting average leaders. I will tell you, Timmy, the man in second actually did not have enough plate appearances to qualify for the batting title, but he is still listed second for batting average. So of the players I see in front of me, you're going to need five. Well, I'm going to guess Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin. Hold on. Let me see if I can um, play the proper sound effect for uh, Barry Larkin. <sighs> nope. Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn was the man who did not have enough plate appearances to uh, win the NL batting title, but he finished second at 353. 96. Um, Griffey? Ken Griffey Jr. That's a negative. Uh, was a rod there then a rod, Alex Rodriguez, then of the Seattle Mariners led the league three fifty eight. There's beautiful. Two. Uh, you have number one and number two and one of them's a rod. And I wouldn't have guessed it in. Uh, you could have let me guess a hundred times. I wouldn't have guessed it. Yeah. Cause was, was that like, his, I had to be a rookie year. I believe. Yeah. Um, well, then Alex Rodriguez is not known for his batting average. Well, yeah, he was he was like a 300 hitter. Until he his his arms and chest got so big, the only thing he could do was hit home runs. Well, no, that was Barry. Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. No. What? No Bonds. Bobby Bonilla? Bobby. <laughs> Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> oh, we're not the home runs yet. Wait a minute. Uh, Dick Pill Hawking, Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas, number three, 349. So now you have one, two, and three. You need two more to go. 
96. Juan Gonzalez. Juan Gonzalez. No. Do you want some teams? Sure, please. There's a brewer. You're you're never going to guess him, so I would just forget that one exists. There's a ranger. I doubt you're going to get that one either. There's a Met. Rafael Palmero. No. A Dodger. Met. Two twins and a Rocky. Todd Helton. No. Larry Walker? No. Played next to Larry Walker. Andres Galarraga. Was on first base. What? No. Did you say two brewers? Two brew, uh, two twins. Oh, two twins. In 96? One of the twins was a former brewer. Scott Erickson. Was a pitcher. <laughs> Robin Yount. Robin Yount. Did not play for the twins. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Gaetti. Gary Gaetti, no. I'll give you one more. This has gotten sad now. This is fun. I, I sure. Like, um, I mean, the listeners, are, I'm sure, are having a riot right now. Listen to this. I, mm. I feel like this needs to be an immaculate. He was a twin and used to be a brewer. Mm-hmm. Paul Molitor. Number five, 341. Do you think you can get one more? I didn't know he played for the Twins. Yeah, he did. End of his career. Give me teams again. Dodger. There's Pedro a Dodger Guerrero, on here. Pedro Guerrero was gone. Kurt Gibson was gone. Uh, uh, a Brewer, a Ranger, a Met, a Dodger, another Twin, and a Rocky. Rocky. In the outfield, and it, and it wasn't. Year. It wasn't Todd Helton. It he wasn't Andres Galarraga. Also played first base. Todd Helton was not in the league yet. And it wasn't Larry Walker. Todd Hedden was still the quarterback of Tennessee here in 1996. All right, give it to me. Number 10 of the Milwaukee Brewers at 331, Dave Nilsson. Yep, don't know who that is. I don't either. Number nine of the Texas Rangers, 332, Rusty Greer. Don't know who that is. Number eight of the New York Mets, 333, Lance Johnson. Former Chicago White Sox Former, legend. Yes, of White Sox fame. I didn't Number know he played for the Mets. What, what was that? I didn't know he played for the Mets. Briefly, yes. He also played for the Cubs. At number seven of the L.A. Dodgers, 336, Mike Pizza. Damn it, Mike Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> number six, this man somehow has made it all this time and has never been mentioned on this show. 341, Minnesota twin, Chuck Knobloch. Ah. <sighs> Short and stop, Chuck Knobloch. Second base. No, he started it short. Their set, their shortstop was uh, Greg Gagne. Gagne. No, it's Gagne. It was, no, it was Gagne. <laughs> sure. And number four <laughs> of the Burns Colorado kid. Rockies, three forty-four. Ellis Burks, former Boston Red Sox legend, Ellis Burks. Let's go to home runs. Let's see if you, you can definitely get five here. There's no doubt. <laughs> In my mind. 96, Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds, tied for ninth with 42. Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla, no. Mark McGuire. Led the league, still with Oakland here at 52. Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco, no. Need three more. Wow. Dick Pillhawk and Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas, no. That also surprised me. 
Or Ellis Burks played in Colorado. Did he lead in home runs? One year, but it wasn't 96. Oh, shit. Uh, it was 97. Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. third. 49, there's three. Uh, let's see. Jeff Bagwell. No. Craig Biggio. No. <laughs> no. You want some teams? Yeah, always. Florida. We got another Marlin. Uh, what? Uh, I'm sorry, not a Marlin, a Mariner. But there also is a Marlin on the list. There's a Rod. There's a Marlin and a Mariner. It's not a Rod. There's a Red Sox, a Ranger. Edgar Martinez, Juan Gonzalez. Juan Gonzalez tied for fifth with 47. There's four. There's a Rocky and a player from Cleveland. Albert Bell. Albert Bell, fourth with 48. Here's the rest of your top 10. Tied with Bonds at number nine. Gary Sheffield, then of the Florida Marlins, with 42. Tied for seventh, Mo Vaughn and Jay Buhner, both with 44. Jay Buhner. I love these 90 baseball names. Tied for fifth with Juan Gan, Andres Galarraga, the big cat, with 47. And second place of the Baltimore Orioles, he had the uh, all-time lead for leadoff home runs in a season until he found out he was on June. Brady Anderson. Brady Anderson had 50. Let's go. What, what a steroid case Brady Anderson was. <laughs> Let's see how you do with pitchers. Pitching wins leaders. Oh, 96. We'll do four. Roger Clemens. We'll do four. Roger Clemens, no. Scott Erickson. Scott Erickson, no. Ben McDonald. Who is Ben McDonald? And no. Orioles pitcher. Who's <laughs> it like a phenom? No um, Randy McDonald. Johnson. Randy Johnson. No. Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling. No. Pedro Martinez. Pedro Martinez. No. Who was pitching in 96? Tom Browning. I said. <laughs> I said three because there's some there's some uh, Greg Maddox. There's a lot of people on this list that this was their one good year. Greg Maddox, no. Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin. No. Kevin Steve Brown. Avery. No. Steve Avery, no. All right, let's see if you can get one. <laughs> <laughs> um Greg Sweeney. Greg Sweeney. Greg Swindell. That was Greg his name. Swindell. No. Here we go. We got some teams here. One of them played for two teams. Houston. <laughs> I don't know what two teams are off the top of my head. The Dodgers. Andy Benez. Who? Andy Benez. Andy Benes? He was a padre. Yeah. Andy Benes tied. Uh, I, well, he wasn't tied. He was in fifth uh, with 18. I should take it away because he didn't play for the Padres. He played for the Cardinals. Well, they started his career with the Padres. You're, I think you're thinking of Alan Bennis. No. And since I changed it to one, here's the rest of your top 10. All tied for ninth with 16. Denny Nagel. I've heard of him. He is was the a, Reds legend at one is, point. Is the player that played for two teams. Shane Reynolds. Hideo Nomo. I've heard of him. Rookie of the year. Al Leiter. Uh, he was Mets legend. Bobby Witt. Ken White Hill. White Sox? Uh, here's with Texas. Mm. Ken Hill, 
Don't know. And Chicago White Sox legend Alex Fernandez all had 16. Uh, Florida Marlins legend Alex Fernandez. Sure. Tied for sixth, Kevin Ritz. Oh, Kevin Brown was on here. Look at me. I passed him up. Kevin Brown and Charles Nagy. Fourth. Indians legend Charles Nagy. Of the Baltimore Orioles, Mike Mussina. (sighs) Third of the Toronto Blue Jays, Pat Hankin. Had 20. Pat Hankin. I don't know him. Yes, you do. Second of the New York Yankees, Andy Pettit. With 24. I've heard of him. Steroid. And your league leader with 24 of the Atlanta Braves. You named every starter in that rotation except John Smoltz. That's because he was a reliever. He, he was yet. a closer at not the end yet. of his career. This is not the end of his career. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been. Shouldn't have been saying them. That was Boxer trivia. That was painful. July 15th. We have Speaking a tragic, of painful. Yeah. We have a tragic story here as a plane headed to Paris from New York explodes off the coast of Long Island, killing all 230 passengers on board. The plane took off from JFK Airport at 8.31 p.m. Eastern Time on July 17, 1996. Twelve minutes later, after takeoff, the plane exploded, and instead of a flight taking people home or taking people on vacation, it became the third deadliest aviation accident in United States history. Initially, speculation was running rampant that the plane was taken down due to a terrorist attack. The National Transportation Safety Board, the FBI, and the New York Police Department Joint Terrorism Task Force concluded there was no evidence supporting any criminal wrongdoing. After a four-year investigation, it was surmised that the probable cause was an explosion of flammable fuel vapors in the center fuel tank. Although it couldn't be proven with absolute certainty, it is believed that the ignition source of the fuel was an electrical short circuit. A study of the aircraft's wiring were done and it showed signs of arcing in the wiring system that enters the fuel tank. The pilot had communicated bizarre readings on the plane's fuel readings just 150 seconds before the explosion. TWA 800 was scheduled to depart JFK for Charles de Gaulle Airport around 7 p.m., but the flight was delayed until 8.02 by a disabled piece of ground equipment and passenger baggage mismatch, which doesn't surprise me at all. After the owner of the baggage in question was confirmed to be on board, the flight crew prepared for departure. The aircraft pushed back from gate 27 at the TWA flight center. The flight crew started engines at 8.04. However, Because of the previous maintenance undertaken on Engine 3, the flight crew only started Engines 1, 2, and 4. Engine 3 was started 10 minutes later at 8.14. The last recorded radar transponder return from the airplane was recorded by the FAA in Travos, Pennsylvania, at 8.31 and 12 seconds p.m. You know, this, the sad part, I mean, this is a tragic story. A um, little, little behind the scenes here. I have all of the shows written through the first week of August. There is another plane wreck act, uh, story coming. This happens way more than I thought it did. Well, but, but still, when you think about all the flights that leave, because well, yeah, they say flying is the safest mode of travel, and it is. Yes. We cover a lot of plane crashes because yeah. guess what? That's what makes news. 
the the probability. I mean, we've we've covered. I mean, what probably four or five now, and I know I know there's one more coming uh, before the month. Maybe I think it might be. It's either this month or ninety two. Or I'm sorry, in August. I don't remember, but there's another one. And it's just, it's unfortunate. Yeah. They always make the news because you have lots of people, 230 people or more. Yeah. It's, it's the, the, the one drunk asshole in Atlanta, Georgia that crosses the median and kills the family at six mm-hmm. doesn't make the news as much as 230. Correct. And unfortunately, we have to go from that story the third deadliest aircraft incident in U.S. history, to another sad story. As eight days after the opening of the Olympics, everything is brought to a halt after the detonation of a bomb in Atlanta Olympic Park. The the Olympics are supposed to be a joyous occasion, an event that draws in the best that every country has to offer. This year, it was shattered by the bomb that exploded and uh, injured eight and shook the heart of not only Atlanta, but the world. It's disgusting, quite frankly, that these Olympics are now forever tainted by this bombing because the games are now secondary, and no one remembers who won the medals. The bombing took place at Centennial Olympic Park, which served as the town square, so to speak, of the Olympics. Thousands of spectators are crowded to the park to watch a late-night concert by Jack Mack and the Heart Attack, which is a phenomenal band name. Sometime after midnight... I was going to say that. I like that. Sometime after uh, midnight... This cowardly shitbird by the name of Eric Rudolph planted three pipe bombs inside of a green military field pack and placed it underneath a bench by the concert sound tower. The bombs were filled with smokeless powder and three-inch-long masonry nails. Due to the materials used, specifically the use of nitroglycerin dynamite, the FBI tied the Atlanta bombings as well as the Sandy Springs bombing from January 16, 1997, in which Rudolph bombed an abortion clinic and the other side lounge bombings in Atlanta on February 21st, 1997. You can probably figure out why Rudolph bombed the abortion clinic, but the other side lounge he bombed because of his opposition to the gay rights movement. Rudolph bombed another abortion clinic in in Birmingham, Alabama, and after a large manhunt, Rudolph was arrested in 2003. Death penalty, hopefully? I don't think so. All right. Sorry, step in. Screw that guy. Let's talk the Olympics. I agree. I don't want to talk about that bombing because fuck it. I No, not doing it. The U.S. defended its home turf, winning the most total gold and silver medals in this Olympics. Amy Van Dyken won four gold medals in the Olympic swimming pool. The first American woman to win four titles in a single Olympiad. Congrats. In tennis, Andre Agassi won the gold medal, took pictures of it with his Canon camera. Nice. Which would eventually make him the first man and second singles player overall to win the Golden Slam, which I don't know what that is, but it sounds really cool. What is he's about? You're about to tell me. So, well, it consists of an Olympic gold medal <laughs> and victories in all four singles tournaments the French, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, and the Australian Open. Good day. And then some jobber named Kurt Angle also won a gold medal. Who? With a broken freaking neck. Broken freaking neck. And that, that's what's tragic about this, right? Because it bombing aside, if you I mean this this is probably the one of the more intensely competed record breaking Olympics ever. But I no mean, one Michael rem- Phelps wasn't there. No, well that's that's later, but no but no one remembers this one. Nobody. 
Doesn't remember the bombing. And unfortunately, that's what happens. Mark Henry was there. He was finished 14th. Me. July 30th, this show will be bookended with a tragedy in the middle, and we're going to surround it with America's pastime as Los Angeles Dodgers manager Tommy Lasorda retires from baseball. You know what's crazy? Is Lasorda has 1,599 career wins as a manager, and he's only 23rd all time. He started old. So that means he, he won 160 games, which I know is not possible. But he won 160 games over 10 years and is not his 23rd all-time. Of the 22 above him, four are still active. Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy, Terry Francona, and Buck Showalter. Luckily for Baker, at the age of 74, he only needs Tommy Lasorda's career, 1,599 wins, to catch up to Connie Mack for the all-time lead with 3,731 wins. Pretty sure David Bell, manager for the Reds, will catch that in about 10 years. 2140. He's got 117 years ago. Anyway. How do you win 3,700 games? That's bananas. That's 100 wins a year for 37 years. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that's like Don Shula territory. There is no way that's an accurate stat. You that is be wrong. Google it while I'm reading the rest of the story. Anyways, I just wanted to be a stat nerd for a second. That as good as Dusty Baker is, he only has 1,600 wins. He's not even halfway there yet. Lasorda's accomplishments are amazing, especially when you consider that he managed for 21 seasons with one team, the Dodgers. His career winning percentage is 526 in the regular season. And in the playoffs, he was 31 and 30. I know a lot of teams that would love to be 500 in the playoffs. Mine, for example, but you'd have to make it there first. Lasorda got his coaching start by coaching third base for the Dodgers in 1973 after spending 13 years as a scout and minor league manager. He spent three years at the hot corner, a.k.a. third base, until the retirement of Walter Alston, and Lasorda got his chance. Did you... Realize I was telling the truth yet? Holy shit. We need to cover Connie Mack. I think he died in like 1960. All right. So let, let, let's go into this. By the way, Connie Mack. And Still his alive. 30, no, his 3,731 wins as a manager. You would mm-hmm. think he'd be supremely successful, right? Mm-hmm. He has a losing record. What, he lose 4,500 games? He lost 3,948 games. Hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Let me pull up the old calculator here. So he won. How many did you say? 3,731. 3,731. And lost 3,938. That equals 7,669 games divided by 162 games. That's uh, That's 47 and a third seasons he coached. He managed for 56 years. Well, then they must not have been playing 162 games when he started. And if you want to know why he lost so many games, he was a manager for the Pittsburgh Pirates and Mm. the Philadelphia Athletics. Hmm. That'll do it. Would you like to know his He managed so long ago. He managed the A's before they moved to Oakland. (laughs) 
he he had a batting average of 245, hit five home runs in the major leagues, and batted in 265 runs. What was that over 12 seasons? Uh, 10. That was, yeah, see? Close. 10 seasons. He averaged 26 RBIs a year. He started playing in 1891. What a terrible guy. <laughs> okay. Who are we I talking about? Why do you manage for 50 years? Exactly. Tommy Lasorda is famous for his colorful personality and outspoken opinions regarding players and other personnel associated with baseball. He had a number of obscenity-filled tirades before he started hawking slim fast. Timmy Lasorda. The most famous of his tirades was the Dave Kingman tirade in 1978, in which Lasorda ranted at a reporter, Paul Alden, who asked him about Kingman hitting three home runs against the Dodgers that day. I I can't say it because there's lots of obscenity. Mm. His television credits playing himself include Silver Spoons, Who's the Boss, Chips, Heart to Heart, Fantasy Island, and Police Squad, Hee Haw, Simon and Simon, Everybody Loves Raymond, and American Restoration. Why did he even manage baseball? He could have just been a TV star. Right. He's, I mean, there's a, no, I shouldn't even, but he's like the last one team colorful well-known manager because right well by the time he retired earl weaver's not around anymore la Russa, i think had already gone to the cardinals by 96 i mean that like those all-timers one team my whole career those guys didn't exist anymore they're all gone and lou Pinella changed teams like underwear yes i was he was actually that's why i didn't say the last colorful manager because lou Pinella was there but he changed teams every 16 minutes Reds, one Mariners, Cubs, Rays. Okay. He did not wear one with the, with the Cubs. They were terrible. But you know it was not terrible. This episode of WCW Monday Nitro, July 15th, 1996. This Watching this back, whew, all the feels. Felt like I was 11 years old again for a minute. And we were at Universal Studios. Watching this opening in the intro from Tony Schiavone, again, it's just, it's, it gave me goosebumps as we open up with the hour one announce team. Schiavone and friend of the show, the living legend, Larry Zabisco. Legends, we, let's rethink this. That's absolutely right. Our first one we ever did. No, first one we did with an interview was Larry Zabisco. We start with the video package of when Hogan turned on Savage and bashed the beach. And I have to say, Dusty Schiavone and Heenan crushed that moment at the announce table, possibly one of the best called spots ever. Very good visual coming in. I enjoyed the intro. Tony, tuck your damn shirt in. I come on. You're a professional broadcaster. I something tickled me because you know Heenan was always button up shirt, tie, suit jacket. Bischoff wore, I mean, whatever. He didn't really have a set. Usually it's like a leather vest and a denim denim shirt. Giovanni was usually in a suit. Zabisco was generally the only guy that being a polo shirt. Yeah. They're all sporting Mickey Mouse polo shirts. <laughs> Every one of them is doing a Mickey Mouse. It's f- fantastic. Tickle. But Tony won't tuck his in because Tony's a slob. Hmm. Al- or, uh, Georgia. It's Georgia for you. Yeah. Virginia. I was stationed in Georgia. 
He was he was from Virginia. I was also stationed in Virginia. Match one, fire and ice. Who? You guys remember them? Takes on the Steiner brothers. I wish a company today would do this setup. Meaning how like the Universal Studios the crowd. Center. Yeah. Although it can be more than 300 people, it just feels big time. We start the match with Norton dominating Scott Steiner. And I've probably said it before on the show, and I'll say it every time I see Scott Norton. I thought Norton could have been so much more in WCW. Fire and Ice goes for a double team but fails, and the Steiners take control and get the win. You know, everyone talks about how WWF was so main event related and WCW had the best undercard. But they have not said anything about this match three minutes in other than the main event. Larry, if you think the Steiners are great, suplex artists, you ought to see them in Sharpies. Wow, that's rude. Mm. The Steiners throw one of the worst back suplexes in history. I think they almost killed him. Well, I mean, th- these are massive men. They're throwing them on also. But um, but if you're going to throw them, you should probably be able to throw them. I thought Scott Norton was probably the one non-WWF guy in the NWO, even more than Buff Bagwell, that I would say that actually fit in with the NWO. And I thought if they would have used him as muscle that just crushed people, he could have been huge. But he again, I also understand he had a New Japan deal that didn't let him work full-time. But Norton could have – I love Scott Norton and WCW. He could have been so much more than what he was. Up next, we get a promo with Ray Trailer. Big Bubba, Big Bubba yeah. Rogers, Jimmy Hart, and Kevin Sullivan with Mean Gene Okerlund. They're talking about the horsemen. When Norton and Ice Train walk by, arguing, nice, subtle hint there. I loved that. I didn't, I, I probably wouldn't have caught it when I was 11 watching this, but I caught it now. That was nice. That was well done on their part. Apparently, the faces severe forgot they were supposed to be here as they just wander out towards the end. Mang's kicking the air and Barbarian's just. <laughs> Yelling at stuff. Then we get a pre-tape <laughs> from Dean Malenko with all the emotions you would expect. And oh shit, our blood runs cold. Jimmy Hart's plan to eliminate the NWO beer and cans, baby. Yeah, they don't, don't give them beer bottles. They're dangerous. Dean Malenko was a hell of a promo. And <laughs> I mean that. With, he with, had the same thought. With, with all of nothing. He, he was terrible. I, I love Dean Malenko. Don't give him a mic. Jesus. But it's not because of his promo work. He, he in ring, top five ever. Mic work, yikes. When we come back, it's fire and ice with Gene Orkland as the team argues about what's the proper way to do things. When out walks Teddy Long and gets holla, pie holla, faced holla. by Norton, he gets pie faced by Norton for his troubles and shoved to the ground, setting up Road Wild. The, the vaunted match of Ice Train versus Scott Norton. We've match, watched that. We have. Have we watched that? Yes. That must have been early, early on. Match two, Billy Kidman takes on Dean Malenko. This is pre-flock Kidman, so he's a generic baby face, which means he's about to lose. <laughs> Malenko walks out, but then Jimmy Hart runs out and talks to him. Maybe Malenko was double parked because they don't really ever <laughs> mention what happened here. Malenko charisma jokes aside, I love watching him wrestle, and he might be the one person where lack of personality actually worked for him, and they used it. 
Indeed. Kidman starts out on fire, and then Malenko comes back, and the match ends when Malenko just brutalizes Kidman with a brain buster, double underhook bomb, and a power bomb, and then Malenko gets to Texas Cloverleaf for the win. All four of those moves were within like 15 seconds of each other. We're almost 20 years later, and Dave Silva almost looks the same because he's in this crowd. I've seen him. Dave Silva's in this crowd? Yep. Are you being serious, or are you joking? No, it's not actually him. Okay, thank you. But it looks very much like him. And do Malenko's tights say poo on the back of him? That's weird. <laughs> Said 1,000, but now I'm going to Yeah, it looked, it looked it. like poo. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even know WCW were really pioneers in little people wrestling, but they did a fabulous job here. I love it. Well, WWF had him beat by a decade. Not as much comedy as I expect, but lots of little people running around the ring. <laughs> Next, we get a promo with Carolina Panthers legend Kevin Green with Mean Gene Okerlund. Green talks about how much of a disappointment Hogan is and then calls out Mongo McMichael, who did you just see? I just saw today as a Hall of Fame finalist this year. Is it posthumous, right? No, he's still alive. Is he? Yeah. Oh, he's almost not. From Thank what you. I've heard. He was very sick. He is. I don't, I don't know why you had to say it like that. I, I, I thought he'd already passed. I'm sorry. No, he is not. Had Green not been a Hall of Fame linebacker, he could have been a very good wrestler. Then a pre-tape with WCW Tag Champions in Harlem Heat aired, and they didn't say the N-word, so that's a bonus. Note to self, NFL players, not good promos. Skip that. This one Keep or the going. second one? Which one was worse? Both. There's another one coming up later. All NFL, all NFL. Because he comes back a half. Because this one, he's like, I can't miss my plane. I gotta play. I gotta. I'm gonna be here all night waiting to go to training camp. Then a half hour later, he's like, I gotta go catch my plane. (laughs) (laughs) Now we get a commercial for the WCW magazine, and it's weird now knowing that that kid is Garrett Bischoff. Not really. Okay. Match three: Rough and Ready with Colonel Robert Parker takes some Harlem Heat. This is Mike Enos and Dick Slater, by the way. Harlem Heat gets the fireworks treatment as they walk out with Sherry Martell. Stevie Ray is a deceptively big dude. He is bigger huge. And, bigger than Booker. Yes. And big, Booker's a big big boy himself. Yeah. We've got four pros in the ring, so the match is good, and there's the ongoing saga of Parker and Mantell outside the ring. This was a good back-and-forth match, although kind of chaotic at times. And then Sherry kisses Dick Slater, and Slater gets rolled up for the win. I'm sorry, did you say Sherry kisses? Sherry kisses what? the dick. She kisses the dick, and then it gets rolled up. And then it gets rolled up. Normally, they, it goes, never mind. Mm. Rough and ready look like a has-been and a never will be. I think. Wow, so. that's rude. But I've been watching a lot of 1986 wrestling challenge, and Dick Slater's in the WWF in 1986. As the rebel Dick Slater. Apparently he was a rebel. He kissed Sherry. Mm. Mouth mouth herpes. Stop it. Why are you being like this? And in 1986, Enos was apparently on Dukes of Hazard because I I seen him. I don't think Mike Enos was on Dukes Dukes of Hazard. Enos was on Dukes of Hazard. I seen it. Mm -mm. I don't think it's a different person. Different Enos? Yeah, sure. And this match ends, of course, by Sherry putting her mouth on Dick. That's terrible. I was yelling at you, but you've accurately described what happened, so I can't say anything. 
Now we get a video package of the high-flying ability of Timmy's favorite wrestler, Rey Mysterio Jr. They talk about Rey being one of the greatest high-flyers of all time. He's only 42 here, so I don't know why. I think it was 19, actually. 42. Sure. Mil Mascaris. When we come back, Kevin Green is stripping in front of Gene Okerlund, and he wants Mongo McMichael right now. He's no Ric Flair. Or maybe he wanted Deborah. I don't know. I, I would have wanted Deborah in 96. Touche salesman. Match four. Medusa takes on Maleo Osaka, who Shivani actually says is from FMW. Then Sabisco says that Medusa is known as the Tower of Terror in Japan. Okay. You watch this match, especially Medusa, and you wonder why WCW did not capitalize on a serious women's division when the WWF wasn't doing it at all. Especially when you consider WCW got big because of the cruiserweight division, because the WWF didn't have one. So you, I, I just, I can't figure out why they didn't do a women's division. There may not have been a ton of talent in the U.S., but there was in Japan. After a hard-hitting match, Medusa gets to win with a suplex into a pin. And who didn't know it was going to end before the first hour was over? Come on. Yeah, as soon as they do the countdown, it kind of gives it away. Hour two starts with the new announced team of Eric Bischoff and Bobby the Brain Heenan as we continue to wonder where the NWO is. As we come back from break, Hall and Nash are covering the WCW glitter sign over the entry gate of Disney with bed sheets with NWO spraying on them. I have to I have to say, if anyone ever does a show like this again, as I mentioned earlier, how cool this show looked, I would go just to see it. Because I can, I couldn't imagine being one of the 300 people in the audience who got to see this live. It had to have been amazing. Match five, Arn Anderson takes on Mang with Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart is blurring the microphone or megaphone and talking into the camera. And even, even Bobby Heenan says, shut up, Jimmy. Unfortunately, we are watching Arn just three months before his career was cut short due to a back injury that he suffered just before Halloween Havoc. Bischoff mentions how high up they are at the announced position, and he says, I can see Zionsville, Indiana from here. I, I might be wrong, but I believe that's where Heenan grew up, is Zionsville, Indiana. Uh, Zionsville, yes. Indiana. Yes. It's a double-A and main match, so you know what that looks like. They beat the hell out of each other. Eventually, Barbarian gets involved. Mang hits a standing sidekick and gets the win in an upset. Definitely focusing on the match here with what's going on outside the ring. They are not paying any attention to what the hell is going on. And then I feel like TBS was probably too big of a debut for Mr. Nanny because that's what they focused on. Uh, Why is this film masterpiece (laughs) debuting on TBS? It should be like the, the Oscar network. The TV Guide channel. TV Guide channel, yes. Perfect. <laughs> when we come back, Mongo is with Gene Okerlund and Deborah talking about Kevin Green. Love me some Mongo McMichael. And I, I just love noticed me some Deborah McMichael. Mm, well, you're not wrong for that. I just noticed Mongo is holding the pe- uh, Pepe the Chihuahua. I, which is, I was holding my Pepe around Deborah. Stop too. it. What? I was gonna, you know what's sad? I was going to add a comment to that, and I can't now because of what you just said. <laughs> Deborah is absolutely brutal in promos, however. I, mm-hmm. Timmy's like, she spoke? 
<laughs> what? Match six. Eddie Guerrero takes on Chris Benoit. How's that? This is my second favorite version of Eddie behind WCW heel Eddie. And guess what? Uh, this is a really good match, and these two also beat the shit out of each other. In retrospect, I understand why they're doing it, but they're completely talking over all these matches, just talking about the NWO. Yep. These, these two had a hell of a match when outruns Dean Malenko to attack Benoit, and uh, the announcers give it no, pay it no mind. No, they don't care. If you remember, Jimmy Hart talked to Malenko earlier in the night, and Benoit is in a feud with Kevin Sullivan. Another nice touch here by WCW. Guerrero wins by countout. Gee, I wonder why he was in a feud against Kevin Sullivan. Hmm. They keep talking about these guys wrestling in the Orient. Jesus Christ. Why? Come on, Japan. They The Orient, like it's mysterious. Whatever. Rio de Janeiro. It's racist. And Eric says he needs to stay healthy. Wrestling Benoit is not necessarily the best way to stay healthy. They, he dropped people on heads all oh, yeah. the time. You're they gonna, talk you're, about what a safe wrestler. No, he was not a safe wrestler. You're in for an ass with Benoit, guaranteed. And this would be a really great match if they stopped talking about the NWO. Come on. Agreed. We get a pre-tape with Jimmy Hart and Big Bubba in a motorcycle helmet for no reason. And just yeah. as it was, it was the new chips on TBS. Yeah. Jimmy Hart and Ray Trailer on they, motorcycle. They really let themselves go from the previous rendition <laughs> of the show. And just as we got thought out, our blood runs cold again. No, it doesn't. Okay. Match seven. Big Bubba Rogers takes on then WCW television champion Lex Luger. I'm, I'm going to repeat that. Big Bubba Rogers took on WCW television champion Lex Luger. Bubba starts out on top when a limo pulls up with Holland Ash inside. Why did they have a limo? They were just 60 feet away, drinking on top of the Universal Studio sign. When we come back from break, Luger is making his comeback when there's a double clothesline, and here comes Holland Ash slowly walking to the ring. As Luger is jawing with Jimmy Hart, here comes the attack on Luger, and here comes Hollywood Hogan. Hogan gets to the ring, and Nash hits a powerbomb on Luger. And the story of the whole show has been that Sting, the Giant, Randy Savage, and Ric Flair are all gone. They're in Japan, and Luger's all alone. They get rid of Luger, and now it's time for Hogan to explain himself for his decision to bash the beach after he discards Bubba. It's odd that they call Hall and Nash the new blood. They're both 37. That's old. That's old blood. Especially in 1996. We didn't know a lot about the relationship between Hogan and Savage at the time, but some of these comments are sharp to say the least. The NWO calls out the locker room and WCW answers, and as we go off the air, WCW is circling the ring. Okay, Lex, if you come back from WWF, we'll pay you less and make you the TV champ. That worked for you? Well, I mean, he'd been here for almost two years by now, so he probably was making a little bit more. Oh, no, uh, actually, he was closing on his first year. Yeah, because he started back September, September of 95. September, September 4th, 95. Yeah, so he wasn't even a year in. It's it great. I didn't, even, I didn't even consider that until you just said it. Hey, I got you a said, proposition for you. I know you just main event at WrestleMania, but what if 
<laughs> we, we make you the TV champ. I pay and by you, the way, we'll pay you less. I'll pay you a third as much. <laughs> and I'm going to give you the third rate title in, this, in the company. Okay. I'm in. Okay. Yeah. Big Bubba. Yes. This NWO shit is distracting. I'm trying to watch wrestling. Too bad. Great. We finally get the NWO and I get a Hogan promo. Fabulous. Who, I mean, who did you expect? I was hoping Nash might talk to me. Nash wasn't. I am Oz. Nash is an, uh, is an underrated promo. Overrated wrestler, though. He's terrible. Is he? I think he's yeah. properly rated. Nah, I don't, no, one, no one's ever been like Kevin Nash, mwah, the epitome of a seven-foot wrestler. I mean, everyone knows what you're going to get with Kevin you Nash. You see that match with him and Scott Steiner in 97? Delightful. <laughs> five stars anywhere in the world. Point five star. You misplaced a decimal point. It was point five star. I wonder where Kevin Nash's highest rated star rated match. It had to have been Bret Hart, right? It has to be two, Bret Hart. Two point two five. That's not a thing, but it had two two point two five is a thing, but it has to be Bret Hart, right? I I would be. guess it has to be. He carried Bret Hart to that two point two. Sure, he did. Yes, that's what rating. happened. Every match, every every Kevin Nash match is formulaic, but he carried Bret Hart to Correct. a three and a half star class. <laughs> the hell are you talking about? Bret Hart's trash. <laughs> if you enjoyed this week's episode, please let us know. Give us that five star review wherever you get your podcast. Next week, Dave will be back. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Dave, here's what's that, Dave. He's going through a lot of exciting things, good things, but busy things. Uh, we're hoping to have Dave back full time again back here soon. We're not certain of it, but he'll be we'll, back. He'll be back. Well, I, yeah, I'm I not. Mean, no, I'm not allowing it. As his boss, I'm not allowing him to miss well, another week. We, you know, uh, uh, us here involved in the show, we know how Dave is. I mean, he'll he'll record the next episode from jail if he has to. But I'm just saying he's. It'll sound like shit, but he'll record it from jail. But the video looked better because he'll have good internet in, in, <laughs> in jail. We're not making promises. We're hoping to have Dave back full time. He'll be here. Uh, but and again, this I'm making this, promises. He'll be here. This isn't to say we're phasing Dave off either. We're not killing him off the show. He'll be here. He This show without us three, all three of us, this show does not exist. Hit well, the high note. <laughs> Dave's is awesome. And he got a new hat and it's hilarious. <laughs> Are you drunk? Yes or no. And it's marked on the right-hand side for both. Make sure to follow the show on Twitter at FF Podcast, on Instagram at Filter Free Podcast. Follow the network at Filter Free Net. As for us, you can find us on our social media platforms at Timmy C. So Twitter, I'm at Timmy C1979. If you go to threads or uh, Instagram, I'm at Timmy C1979. One. I'm not sure Twitter's going to exist tomorrow. I am at TC was 91 on threads and Instagram. Both. I am at TC was 91. Someone stole my name. I can't help it. Next week, we're going to cover USWA TV from July 16th, 1993, which means there's going to be commercials in it. Bjork debuts again. Don Imus heads to Beantown. What? With the goose? Bjork? With yes. The goose? Yep. Okay. Beautiful. Don Imus heads to Beantown 
Major League All-Star Game, and so much more. This has been the Filter Free Podcast, and so long for now. No dad jokes this week. <laughs> <laughs>